Hey, you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. This is Luis Sanchez. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Scott Callentine. Welcome to the episode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back, you guys, to Keeping It Simple. Uh, our episode today is going to be an amazing one. Have a good friend, uh, Matt, who is here. Matt grew up on Long Island, uh, just like me, and he is in the greater Seattle area as well. Been doing ministry here for a little bit. Matt, would you say hello to our hearers and tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about what you're up to uh, these days? Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. That's fun. (laughs) Uh, My name is Matt. I am married to Laura um, for 20 years. Three kids, 11, 14, and 16. Uh, Lead a Messianic congregation called Restoration in Seattle. And uh, been in ministry now for 18 years as a rabbi. My dad is a rabbi. My uncle is a rabbi. My brother is a rabbi. And uh, it's a family business. Nice. (laughs) Um, And we're Messianic, so we're Jews that believe in Jesus, which can be a bit tricky depending on who we're talking to or who's talking to me. Uh, But we are what we are. and. yeah. The good news about today is no one's talking back to you. They have to listen to what you're going to say. Yes. So you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Well, it's like preaching, right? One like, way, baby. Nobody talk while I'm preaching. If you got Except an issue, you, some churches, they'll will talk say back amen. to you. I, I love preaching at churches yeah. that go both ways. Yeah. Actually. I always say, you can, you can yell out anything in agreement, but if you disagree, you have to talk to me afterwards. <laughs> you have to get out. <laughs> Send me an email and we'll talk later. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. This is also me in a nutshell if you can see it, but no. <laughs> you really do. It's a Chris Farley joke. It's a, okay. <laughs> that's going to be cut out. Audio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was funny. I thought that was good. Oh, man, that's funny. All right. I mean, off the bat here, uh, you are messianic jew in greater seattle area there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that might have questions where to begin how does this what (laughs) that is this is not generally maybe thought of a a jewish place location right um how'd you get here give us a little bit of context and why why here in the seattle area let's just start there yeah so i grew up in new york um plan was laid out for me to, that I would never leave because if we're going to reach Jewish people, we should uh, stay in the promised land, which is New York City. Let's go. And <laughs> um, so I, I worked with my dad for a few years, uh, and that didn't go very well simply because we're father and son, and, you know, we, we didn't work well together. Uh, so that created all kinds of questions like where am I, was my dad just called to New York? Was I called to New York? Where am I supposed to be? So I ended up leading the congregation in Maryland, uh, for 10 months and three months severance. And then, (laughs) uh, I was looking for a congregation to lead and, um, somebody I'd met at a conference, messing at a conference named Paul Stein. Uh, a few years earlier, reached out and asked if I would come to Seattle. And I was like, the only thing I know about Seattle is Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Dave Matthews. <laughs> that was all I had. The, the important things. Uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. I knew Sean about them. Kemp. Supersonics. R.I.P. Uh, yeah. But, I, you know, I didn't. R.I.P. who? Supersonics. Oh, bro. I was like, Sean Kemp and Gary Payne are still no, alive, alive, bro. The Sonics are not alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're coming back though. It's gonna happen in our lifetime. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I I flew out here to check it out, and I was actually born in um, Ashland, Oregon. Um, so when I when I flew out here, um, I, I heard. I heard the Lord very clearly. I was fr- flying over Crater Lake in Oregon. Mm. 
and place. my parents uh honeymoon there when they were hippies mm. um and i've always told me about it so when i saw it i was looking out the window and saw crater lake and i went oh man that's gotta be crater lake and real clear the lord said welcome home and i was like i'm a new yorker that's right <laughs> but there is a part of me you know we left when i was five weeks old i was born here we moved to the east coast when i was five weeks old but yeah i do feel like uh the Lord sent me back yeah. to the place yeah. of my birth. Cool. So, well, dude, that's my story. We're we're glad that you're here with us. You guys are doing some really cool stuff here in the Seattle area. It's kind of been. I love your story. Your story, not my story. I mean, I'm not Jewish, but there's a lot of overlap there, and mm-hmm. I, I love finding like another brother from like New York, Long Island here. Um, and as a as a person that grew up in New York, I mean, we grew up around Jewish people everywhere. Right. And then we knew pretty early on that there was a difference between Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Jewish people and then Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in here's here's a funny story. Your dad um, and your uncle actually uh, inaugurated my childhood church's building, you know, and I I told you about that. in Baldwin, New York. And so so funny. It was crazy how the Lord's kind of been kind of stringing this together. But yeah, but, you know, we grew up. Um, in this kind of like independent kind of like Pentecostal kind of thing, um, I would say maybe misunderstanding a lot of um, Jewish practices and stuff like that. So can we just kind of just talk about it? Like, what are some of the top things that Gentiles or non-Jews usually miss about like the Jewishness of Jesus? Well, it simply starts with people always say, well, I know Jesus was Jewish. Come on. But the obvious thing is if his resurrection is bodily, his physical body died and he came back to life, um, he's still currently Jewish. Mm. People, people say to me all the time, like, uh, I'll preach at a church and somebody will come and be like, I've never met a rabbi before. And I say, you worship one? And they go, What? Oh, Jesus. Right. So without thinking about it, uh, context is already lost just because he's not. You know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, right, what's, what are the first questions you ask when you meet somebody? It's like, where are you from? You know, where's your family come from? Tell me your story. Mm-hmm. So we talk about being in a personal relationship with Jesus but and being like him. I mean, this is people are like, I want to be like Jesus. And they mean like compassion. And, you know, um, things like that. But there's a part to Jesus and how he lived and what he actually observed as a Jewish person who was also the God of Israel who made the covenants with the Jewish people um, that he practiced. And so I don't think those practices are for all followers of Jesus. But if you want to know Jesus and are in a relationship with Jesus, you should know what he actually practiced when he was on earth. Yeah, yeah. And we've had conversations about that, you know, talk about, you know, the Jew- Jerusalem Council, Acts mm-hmm. 15, if I'm not mistaken, yep. and there's stuff happening. And I think part of that is like, you know, I think for me growing up and kind of having read through the scriptures and having been taught the scriptures, there was this like, hey, we we didn't know how to read, you know, what we would call the Old Testament, right? We would, we, you know, uh, later on, you know, I went to Nyack, which you also went to, and then kind of got a little bit more clear on how to read, you know, the Old Testament through the New Testament eyes, especially for us as Gentiles. Um. But what would you say to someone that's trying to interpret and trying to live faithfully um, in, 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 in light of like having read what we would call the Old Testament? Actually, do you even call it the Old Testament? What do you call it? Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah. Uh, we call it the Tanakh, which is an acronym for Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, the Writings. So there's a different order to the Jewish, to the Hebrew Scriptures than there is in the Christian order of the Old Testament. So in the Jewish order, it ends with um, Second Chronicles. It doesn't end with the great Italian prophet Malachi. Malachi. He's not Italian. It doesn't end with Malachi. It ends, a lot of dad jokes in this podcast. <laughs> uh, 
it, it, it ends with Second Chronicles. The reason why it ends with Second Chronicles is because Second Chronicles is a summary of the whole story up to that point. So when you look at it in the Jewish order, it goes from you know, the Torah, the prophets, and the history books, the writings, and ends with a summary of everything up to that point. Then starts with the Gospels, which continues the story. Gotcha. Um, and when they switched the order, um, they created like a new format and a new, um, you know, so people have in their minds. Like, for instance, you know, in most Bibles, um, there's an extra page in the Bible that doesn't belong. And everyone should tear out because it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm laying it on Talk thick. To us. I'm Talk laying to it us. on thick. Uh, it's the page between Malachi and Matthew. Mm. There's a blank page. You know, Malachi typically ends somewhere in the middle of the page in the formatting where each book goes into each book, right? Mm. There's a heading. Sure. But Malachi ends, there's a blank page. It says the New Testament. And then the back of that page is blank. And then Matthew. And if you tear that page out, it's one story. Mm. that divider doesn't belong there. Mm. So the idea that there's one old covenant and one new covenant and that the old Testament is, you know, inferior to the new Testament. I mean, the new Testament is like 2000 years old. It's not new Mm. anymore. In fact, it's older. It's pretty old now. Yeah. In fact, it's 500 years older than the old Testament was in the day of Jesus. Because there's 1,400 years between him and Moses. Um, and there's 2,000 years between us and Jesus. So the whole idea that it's, there's kind of these dichotomies that don't really exist and things that people came along and added that we accept as fact that when we look into the text... Like verse numbers and chapters, there. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are helpful Absolutely. in terms of reference. Um, but, you know, changing the order of the books and putting in pages that don't belong there and actually separating. I mean, why do you call something old in the first place? Mm. Right. It's because there's something newer and better. And why do most Christians outside of Genesis chapter one and two and Isaiah 53 and Proverbs and Psalms, they don't really read the rest because why would you? Because it's called old, Mm. but nobody in the scriptures ever calls that group of script. And it, it also divides between like the old Testament is the Jewish scriptures. So what is the new Testament? Well, that's the Christian scriptures, but of course everything in the new Testament is written by or for Jewish people, right? Like even the letters that are written to Gentiles are still written by a Jewish person. So if you're going to call something the Hebrew scriptures, it should be Genesis to revelation, not, what comes before the New Testament is if the New Testament is something else. Um, they're all Jewish guys, except, you know, some say Luke's not Jewish, which I think is kind of awkward because he's the only one who's a doctor. And like, so you're telling me the one guy who's a doctor is not Jewish. That doesn't make any sense. That was a joke too. That, it wasn't funny. Okay. No, everybody's laughing at home. Yeah. It they're, wasn't they're good laughing, execution. I actually heard, I was actually, I was reading a book in, in school and it referred to the Old Testament as the First Testament. Yeah. And I actually really liked that idea rather than Old Testament. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the New Testament, as you guys read it, um, is the order any different or is that the same as the traditional? No, that's the same because it's set later. Um, but there's all kinds of things that are patterns that are set in Judaism that then, you know, around the 300s, the church fathers start to reorganize. Um, for all kinds of silly reasons, as simple as like Constantine has these letters that he wrote after the council of Nicaea to the bishops who didn't attend. And one of the questions that they were asking was, should we establish a, a a single day for Easter? Like one day that we all celebrate and Constantine's, uh, like when he's explaining to the bishops who didn't attend, he says, the reason why we have to choose another day is because the way the Jews count Passover is really confusing. That's their whole reason. (laughs) Right. And it is a little confusing, but it's not that confusing. Mm. Um, And 
you know, when you, when you dig in and find those kind of like, wait, that's the only re like, that's your big reason for changing the day of the resurrection. <laughs> it's like, you know, you have to step back and go, I don't think it means you throw everything away. Right. I don't think celebrating Easter is bad, but when you understand historical context, you have to step back and go, okay, these people were also people mm. and they made some decisions that, uh, you know, made things like it's always been that way. I say to people all the time and they, you know, it, it weirds people out um, because it's so simplistic, but it's a simple question of like, you realize Jesus didn't speak English. Right. Like, right. He, he, He's not from Kansas, y'all. He spoke Hebrew, That's right. right? Aramaic, probably some Greek, probably a little Latin to converse with the Romans. Like there's a context and... And I say all the time, like around, around the time of Passover, I say to people, you realize Jesus in his lifetime never celebrated Good Friday and Easter. That's right. And people pause like, well, what do you mean? Well, if they're new holidays, mm. <laughs> okay. But there's also no need for new holidays because he died and rose from the dead during Passover. So there's a period of time where all the followers of Jesus kept Passover, Jew and Gentile. Yeah. And then it shifts. So, you know, why? Like, those are important questions to break down context. But there are certain things that we just do in our own practice that we assume naturally. It's always been done that way. Yeah, yeah. And most of what we do in any context has probably only been done that way for maybe 100 years. Mm. And they did it a different way 100 years before that. We say the same thing when we talk about church and kind of the modes of church and we're, yeah. we're exploring this, you know, micro expressions and that totally. kind of thing. Um, I want to go back to something like you, you always said. have a sermon for 30 minutes, right? And there's always like four songs. And always no. like an offering, right? No, like, there isn't. There wasn't yeah, always. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I want to go back to something you just said about like Jesus and man, I know other people are thinking about it, but I think it's like this thing that had... You have to kind of state when you think of Jesus, right? And and it kind of seems simple, and it kind of seems like a little bit maybe even superficial. I think it's important, you know. We're talking about the Jewishness of Jesus, and kind of maybe even just right now, like the phenotypes of Jesus. When I think about, I mean, you've been to Israel. I've, you know, I've been to Israel. You've probably been to Israel more times than me. But Jesus, when I think of him, I think of him as a Middle Eastern man, not like as a man that looks like a dude straight out of Germany or straight out of right. Kansas, right? right? And so like when we think of, of the 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 person of, of Jesus, I mean, what kind of thoughts come to mind yeah. to you? Well, my brother Jake says, why does Jesus always look like a Norwegian surfer? Right. <laughs> why? Same question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you'd be unique in looking at him as Middle Eastern. Mm. Um, I think most people, when they think about what he looks like, nobody, I mean, most people don't spend time thinking about it, right? But when you're like praying to him and you're imagining, I think we picture, you know, a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes, just because that's the predominant um, way that he's been painted over the last 2,000 years. Literally painted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're actual paintings that are in our minds. That was someone's interpretation. Like Jim Gaffigan has a funny bit about uh, when Leonardo did the last supper and people were like, I think that's your brother, Jeff, <laughs> you know? And he was like, nah, it's Jesus. You know, and they're like, but it looks just like your brother, Jeff, Jeff Da Vinci. You know, like he's got this. And you think about like, what was his con as a painter? He probably painted Jesus like somebody, somebody he knew. He knew. Um, and so that's funny to, you know, to kind of process. Um, but I but, think it matters to some people and some people more than others, yeah, right? Yeah. Like when they think of like. No, there's a I whole movement a of, of people saying that Jesus is black. Um, when you look in all different, like I, I have all these different pictures that I found of there's, there's different images of Jesus in every culture. Right. right? There's, I was going to say there's that. white Jesus and black Jesus. And then there's Korean Jesus, Ethiopian Jesus and Jamaican right. Jesus. And there's. Um, yeah, I've seen Japanese Jesus and mm -hmm. yeah, Korean Jesus made famous in 21 Jump Street. Uh, you know, there's all, all of these different versions and we have this natural inclination to make Jesus in our image so that he's more relatable. But the truth is 
If you want to understand your own identity, you need to understand his identity first. Mm. So it's through the Jewishness of Jesus that each of us can find what our identity is. Mm. It actually um, deepens our own identity and where we come from if we understand who he is and where he comes from. I think that that's important, Matt. You know, um, I th- and, and I think what we want to get at here, specifically since we have you in the room, is like, why, like, why does the Jewishness of Jesus matter? And why does it matter so much? Yeah. I, well, the scripture is clear that we're made in God's image. And I think we would also agree that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Right, The Father has no image, and the Spirit have no image outside of the person of Jesus. Before Jesus was even born as a baby and, and grew into a man, he had a pre-incarnate, right? There's a, he's always existed. Um, so when, when, when Jacob wrestles the angel of the Lord and is, has his hip broken, well, if the angel of the Lord is God, I mean, if God shows up with two angels and sits down with Abraham under an oak tree, and, and Jesus has always been the only image of God, then he has a way that he looks. And the fact that we have, if we're made in God's image, then the idea that we have you know, two eyes and a nose and a mouth and ears and organs and our systems work the way that they work is because we're designed in an image of something that already exists. So we look the way that we look because of the way he looks, Mm. right? We're made in his image. And then what we do is we try to change him into our image rather than let him be what he is. Um, And and, um, so I think the Jewishness of Jesus is just a part of, it's what God did. It's a part of the story, right? The story is... He made covenants uh, through the Jewish people, with the Jewish people. He's only made covenants, including the new covenant. All the covenants are made with the Jewish people first. And then it's the Jewish people's responsibility as sons of Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. The way we bless the nations is to bring them into relationship. They're far off and we're near. And so we bring them near to have a relationship with the God of Israel, who's the God who created the heavens and the earth. So his Jewishness and the way that he interacted and thought, and, you know, even the problem with the term like first covenant um, is there's at least 10 covenants. And each of those covenants have a specific purpose and they all build on each other. And they all have to do with... uh, progressive revelation. So God reveals one thing, then he reveals something else, then he reveals something else, then he reveals something else. There's a, uh, it's linear. It's moving towards a, a specific goal. Um, and so each of those, the way he interacts as a Jewish person speaking to Jewish people who have context that comes from what God said to Abraham and what God said to Isaac, what God said to Jacob and what God said to Moses and David and the prophets and Jesus comes in the same tradition of all of those people. But you're also looking at the scriptures span, you know, have at least 40 different authors Mm -hmm. over a period of that's written between Moses and John of over 1500 years. Culture, how many times did culture change in those 1500 years? Like world culture, but also the culture of the Jewish people because of where they are. Like, we're totally different in Babylon than we are in the land, and we're totally different when we're slaves in Egypt. Like, culture changes. And so there's an interaction and a context to the Jewishness um, of the story. You know, one of my heroes is a guy named David Stern uh, who wrote a book called Restoring the Jewishness of the Gospel. And his statement in that book um, is everybody wants believes they preached the whole gospel. But you can't preach the whole gospel if you don't preach the Jewishness mm. of the gospel message because it's it's within it's a part of the telling of the story. 
you, as you're listening to this, you might need to press pause at some point, kind of wrestle through there's some of these things. From a fire hose. There's a, there's a lot going on here. Um, let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh-huh. You wrote a book, came out in 2021, um, and it's I mean it's all about this topic of the Jewish of Jesus and yeah. that what he said was actually not some revolutionary mind-bending stuff, but was actually bringing the people back to, to a relationship with God, bringing them back to the covenants. Right. So let's talk a little bit. Why did you write a book? What was the purpose yeah. of the book? How, um, for our audience that is listening, what do you talk about in your book in, in regard to the Jewish use of Jesus and, and Jew and Gentile relationship? Right. So my book is actually written specifically to Christians, and it's to give context, Jewish context. Non-Jewish Christians. Yes, Gentile Christians. Um, What's to, the name of the book? To give context for the Jewishness of Jesus. So it's called Jesus Never Said Anything New. Um, it's intentionally frustrating because um, that's how I live. Uh, and uh, because I found that people, most Gentile Christians, are fascinated with the newness of Jesus. They need him to be a revolutionary that changed everything. Um, But the story and the way he interacts with his own people in the Gospels, Jesus, when Jesus talks, nobody says, wow, I've never heard that before. That's brand new information. Like nobody responds to him in the Gospels with, well, that doesn't sound Jewish. That sounds like you're creating a new religion. So what do they actually say? What they actually say is, has nothing to do with his content, but it has to do with the authority with which he speaks. He's teaching the same things that all the other rabbis in the first century are teaching in the context of his culture and his time. First century, it's called Second Temple Judaism. They're all teaching the same things. But in Judaism, one of the, one of the kind of core principles of Judaism that separates it from Christianity is... Rabbis can disagree, uh, say the opposite thing of the same verse, and both be right. Okay, there isn't one Jewish way of thinking mm. ever. Mm. There's multiple variations of Jewish thought, and where in Christianity there are denominations and and theological positions of like this plus this equals Orthodox Christianity. In Judaism, it's well this plus this, and I mean you could minus this and then divide that and then well, we could totally disagree on this one point, and then we're all still Jewish. And, and people will <laughs> definitely, like, disagree with even that, right? Like, they'll totally. Say with yeah, you, like, I mean, the no, ju- there's just one way of doing this. Yeah, the joke right? is was that wherever there's two Jews, there's three opinions. Mm. Like, like we just make up, you just make up another, like, but, you know, it could be. Um, so what makes Jesus different is one rabbi says this, and one rabbi says this. And then Jesus says, well, why don't I just tell you what I meant when I wrote it? Right. And gave it to Moses when I spoke to him face to face. And, you know, you think in the humanity of, like, if somebody's standing in front of you saying, I'm God, right. which is what that means, you're not going to be like, that's interesting. Can I buy you a cup of coffee and you tell me more? <laughs> right? You're going to be like, you're definitely not God. Mm. Um, and if you are which is what their dialogue is really about in the Gospels, then you have to do this, 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 and this. And, of course, he does. You know, he heals the, makes the deaf hear, and he makes the blind see, and he raises the dead, and he heals the leper. And all these things were expectations in the first century of what the Messiah would right. do. And over three and a half years, he does them. Um, and that's part of, like, the interview process. Um, but... They're, they're not upset because he's saying anything new. They're upset because of the authority with which he's speaking and the fact that he's, you know, in, in, this, in the story of the, when he heals the guy at the Pool of Bethesda who was lame for 38 years, it says the Pharisees were angry at him, John 5. It says the, the Pharisees were angry at him because he broke the Sabbath and equated himself with God. Hmm. Hey, there's two different issues here. They're mad at him because he equated himself with God. They're accusing him 
of breaking the Sabbath. But he broke some of their rules for the Sabbath that they added. So in their minds, he's breaking the Sabbath. But as the Messiah and the one who gave us the Sabbath as the giver of the commandments, he doesn't break the Sabbath. He just breaks their extra rules for the Sabbath and challenges their authority, which if he's the God of Israel, he gave them the authority mm. to lead the Jewish people. So he shows up with that authority and they're thinking, I mean, it happens in Nazareth when he goes to the synagogue that he grew up in. And he says all this amazing, today the scriptures fulfilled in right. your hearing and people, and somebody in the back goes, isn't that Joseph's kid? And that's the moment where it's like, nah, he's one of us. Like, the Messiah can't come from us. Mm. Are you telling me he came from Joseph and Mary? Like, they're my neighbors, <laughs> right? Like, there's a human reaction um, that is, is important. So when I say Jesus never said anything new, it's, it's in relationship to his content. Everything he says is in context of Jewish thought and Jewish practice in the first century during the second temple period. Um, and there's nothing revolutionary in what he's saying, except when he's talking about who he is, mm. but who he is is also not new mm. <laughs> because he's always existed always as the visible image of the invisible God. I mean, I, I think that that's so cool and necessary for believers to catch, right? They, we need to catch the fact that uh, Jesus is uh, Jewish and that Jesus belongs to a people and that Jesus yeah. has a cultural identity and that Jesus grew up, you know, um, with, you know, customs and, and, you know, like all of us, right? Like, and, and that looks different for different yep. groups of people. I have a question though, and then maybe... And I think we could sit there and do this. This podcast could go for five hours, right? Yeah. Because it's always, every time we've hung out, we've always <laughs> had like these conversations. But let me, in, in response to what you just said about Jesus showing up on the scene and saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm doing this with authority. And then they had all of these prerequisites that he was supposed to meet, right? And mm -hmm. he meets them time after time after time. But why do they miss him? Mm -hmm. Right. Why do those people in the first century like he meets the requirements? Why and how are they still able to miss that he is the one that the prophets talked about, that he is the one that was written about in the law, that he is the one that fulfills all that? Like, how, how and why? Yeah. So there was a I remember a guy from Jews for Jesus came to uh, my one of my classes at Nyack 25 years ago. And. uh and he, we were talking about the second coming, and he said something that, like, it, it helped shift my thinking. He said, you know, people have all different views of the second coming, how Jesus is going to come, what it's going to look like, what the prophecies mean. We all have things we hold to as this has got to be, you know, his feet are, he's obviously has to descend from heaven, and he's going to land on the Mount of Olives, and, There's like, everybody, right. And there's going to, right. And there are different groups that have different things. They're like, what this means. And he said, the first coming was no different. Like everybody had expectations and some of their expectations were right. And some of their expectations were wrong. And it was like, he was saying to everybody, you got this part, right? But you missed this part. Mm. Um, and I, I think the second coming is actually going to flesh out the same way. When he actually does show up, there's going to be some people who are like, no, you can't be him because the way you're supposed to do it is, and he's going to be like, yeah, but that's not what I did. And he'll be like, no, what we've always believed, right? right? It's, it's the same, it's human nature. It's, mm. it's not a Jewish problem specifically. It's a expectation. I thought I was taught, this is how I understand and there's nobody that at the end of all, you know, at the what Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Just like a big meal, and he's going to preside over it, and we're all going to be together. And he's going to be like, guys, I just want to say, this guy Jim in um, Missouri, he was the only one in the history of the world that got every part right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, theologically speaking, 
he hit all the points and you guys should have listened to him, right? There's, there isn't going to be any, I think everybody's going to be like, God's, you know, he's going to say, man, Luis, you were so good on some of this stuff. Mm. And this is where you missed it. And Scott, you were so good on these other things. And this is where you missed it. And Matt, you were so good on the content. Like you got the Jewish context part, but you missed so many other things. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Like it's, it's going to be the same conversation. And because of the blood of Jesus at, at the end of that conversation, he's be like, come on, come on in. Yeah. Like there's food at the table. Yeah. You know, you get to partake. And I think putting it being in that wrong. way, I think putting it in that way, Matt, I think it almost demystifies it. And it also creates a compassion uh, for those first century folks that did miss it, totally. and even a compassion for those that will miss it, yeah, at, 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 in in the next coming. You I know? mean, that's why I have like, so many warnings of what in the in the New Testament of be careful that you don't focus on the wrong things and actually miss what God is doing. Like that's it happens to everybody, even right now, right? Like I was reading the Seattle Times. You know, I don't think they have a paywall right now. So I was like reading through all this stuff with like Ukraine and Russia and all this. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about the situation, it's like people are like, well, is the end of the world near? Right? Yeah. And so you look at it's Matthew 24. Yeah. Mag and Magog, man. And it's, it's, like, it's coming. But, but, and then every generation has asked the same question, <laughs> totally. right? And like, and, and you don't fault people for asking that question, but, right. but Jesus goes, and we don't know 100%, but Jesus goes, you know, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, he's like, yeah. it's only the beginning. Yeah, that's only the beginning, and so like caution to those who actually assign, like, yeah. hey, it is for sure, for sure, this yeah. has got to be the way. Yeah, you know, and I think that that happened in the first century. Yeah. I that, said to somebody recently, you know, it's a, you should. Jesus said himself, nobody will know the day or the hour, or day or the time, or, and he goes, no, it says day and hour. So that means you can know, and I was like, semantics. Come on, bro. <laughs> That's where you're going to argue that he didn't say he was he was leaving it in the he was leaving like a fill in the blank for you. So it was like secret code. Um, you know, the, the frustrating thing about the disciples is they don't understand a word he says for three and a half years. Like it says it over and over again. And the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about, like over and over again. Um, and it's not until after the death and resurrection and the ascension. And after they receive the spirit, after all these things that then they all go, Oh, remember, remember when Jesus was telling us that parable, I think what he actually meant, <laughs> you know, like I think they had all these get togethers and they were, and they had to like rehash everything. Like, remember when he talked about dying, we had no idea what he was talking mm -hmm. about, but then we all actually saw him die. And then he rose I think what he meant, you know, like there's, there's a reality to, and I think that's true in our faith as well. Like you, there's a beautiful verse in the Torah in Deuteronomy 29, verse 28 in Jewish translations, verse 29 in Christian translations. Um, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children that we might do this Torah. And there's these two different, there's secret things and revealed things. Hmm. And the revealed things are given to us, so we're actually supposed able to do the things God has asked us to do. The secret things belong to God, and there's nothing sexier right now to people than the secret things. You give me the mystery of the mysteries, like tell me all the mysteries. Like I need this Jewish context so I can understand all the mysteries. Um, and well, there's all kinds of mysteries we'll never. I mean, that goes back to the never going to understand too. Like, We're not going to understand until all things are done. Yeah. Right. So when you get so focused on the secret things, you actually miss the things that were revealed, so that we're able to do the things God has asked us to do. You better preach. And you get stuck in a place of, you know. That was me talking back to you while. Yeah. You were no, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. I was meeting with a guy who started. He came to have coffee. Came to like a service, and he was like, you know, I'm really interested in the Jewish context. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. And he's like, well, I'm divorced, and my kids, I don't have a relationship with my adult children. And you know, he goes through like this whole awful story. And he said, but you know, the only thing part of my relationship that I have with them is I send them a Christmas card every year. But because Christmas is pagan, I'm going to stop sending them cards. And I was like, you're going to take the only connection you have left. Because of some warped idea of what you think it means. 
and you're going to totally disconnect from your children because you think that's what God is saying to you? And he was like, yeah. I said, that's not what he's saying to you, buddy. Love it. And he was like, what? I don't understand. I said, it doesn't matter where Christmas came from. It's an opportunity for you to reconnect with your kids, and God's going to use that if that's all you got left. Don't throw it away because you all of a sudden decided that there's a new revelation of secret things you didn't know before that make you miss all the things that are revealed so that you can do what you're supposed to do. Hey Amen. There's this example is amazing. And whatever it is for you guys, you know, like it might not be the same exact example, but I know a lot of people in uh, um, charismatic circles who are looking for these secret things. Like here's a caution to y'all like do the thing you do know. Right. And, and if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Like, Hey, if that caution is for us, who are always looking for the, deeper reveal you know deeper things that have not yet been revealed like right just be consistent with what you do know to be true and what is out and plain right Right. and trust that if the secret things belong to the lord he's gonna work those things out and probably once we're in on the information we're gonna have the exact same experience as the disciples we're like oh i spent my whole life thinking you meant the opposite that's crazy. And then Jesus is like, do you want another glass of wine? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it used to be water. That's right. And, now and it's he mine. turned it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so transitioning a little bit, I mean, it's, it's all the same, but as Gentiles, mm-hmm. like maybe I don't want to speak for all Gentiles, but I'm going to, uh, what do you wish that we understood better about, Jews and the Jewishness of Jesus, because mm-hmm. there's a very clear division. Maybe division's not the right word, but you know there are Jews and Gentiles that are addressed differently in the text, mm-hmm. and there's a difference of how some of our traditions that have emerged over the past two thousand years, and there's a very difference. But we're still the people of God. We're the people following Jesus. Yeah. What do you wish Gentiles, kind of in general, maybe understood more or? Yeah. What, what what are some of those things that come to mind? I mean, I can tell you some things I I I, I would wish that uh, people would stop saying, like the Pharisees are legalistic. Everybody's legalistic, and I don't even think we know what legalism means. Legalism is when you take the things that God commanded and you add things and say He commanded it when He didn't. And then you tell people that that's what they have to do, right? That's legalism. Legalism's not just following rules. It's not keeping tradition all by itself. Um, and it's not a Pharisee problem. Um, and it's not a Jewish problem. I think a lot of Christians mistakenly and mostly unaware of what they're at, the implication is that Judaism is legalistic and somehow Christianity is not. Um, but we all add things and say, this is how God said to do it. And then somebody goes, but did he actually say to do it? And you're like, well, no, it's an interpretation of an interpretation of a guy from the 1400s. <laughs> you know, wait, really? That's what we're, we're putting all our eggs in that basket? Like 1500 years after Jesus, what that guy said. And I don't think it means you throw anybody out, right? You don't throw out the words of the rabbis. You don't throw out the words of the church fathers. But they're also all human beings. And we all have the same problem. Um, Legalism is not a Pharisee problem. It's a person. It's a people problem. And, and, And we all have the danger of adding to what God said um, and then imposing on people our opinion of what God said as if he actually said it while then ignoring things he actually did say, (laughs) which is really what Jesus gets mad about in the gospels. And similarly, I think it's looking at the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not Jesus's enemies. They're his brothers. And he's speaking to them the same way all the prophets have spoken to Israel before. He's saying exactly the same thing. He's not saying it's over for you. You guys messed it up and I'm leaving. He's saying, I will leave you. 
if you don't do the things I've asked you to do. And you keep missing the point and instructing the people that I've given you authority to lead. There's a cool quote in my book where by um, an Orthodox, he's not Messianic, so not a follower of Jesus, but an Orthodox Jewish professor at Berkeley, which is an interesting combination, named Daniel Boyarin. And he says, uh, Jesus is a conservative response to the radical innovations of the Pharisees. Mm. So we started, right, talking about the book with people look at Jesus as a radical innovator. But the truth is, he was responding to radical innovations. Wow. Um, so the Pharisees start in the Babylonian captivity, which is 500 years before Jesus, and there's 500 years of development into the first century of things they taught and believed. And there's all kinds of things that Jesus interacts with and uses and traditions he observes. The ones he gets mad about are the ones that they say God said to do when he didn't say it to do it. Well, in part, Jesus is saying, like, he's restoring the original, totally. the original faith or the original practices of yeah. the faith. And he's he's like, doing, I mean, every prophet before, Amos and Elijah and um, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, uh, they all have the same message. Turn back to the Lord your God and stop making stuff up. <laughs> and isn't that true of all yeah. of us, right? Like, we right. always try to, you no, know. No, if Jesus showed up right now. He would have the same message. Like, guys, you're missing it in so many areas. Yeah. And if you would just understand that you have to love God and love people. That's it. And those are the two most important things. Make but, disciples and keep it simple. Yeah. Those are, those are the things that we say, but that's, right. I mean, that's what Jesus is. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. At least we believe yeah. that to be true. You so know, a lot of it is the nuance. You know, there's like nuance in language. I would love for people to stop saying old testament and new testament yeah. it's it's the word of god and it's the the frustration is the vast majority of people who say they live by the word of god have never read it mm. they've never read the whole thing or in context christians don't read most of the old testament most jewish people have never read the new testament you have a a, a largely biblically illiterate people who say they follow the book that they don't actually Read. spend the time reading and rereading and actually studying, um, understanding it as, um, you know, as the word of God together, not in segments uh, or one being more important than the other is. Culturally, I think, you know, when we're, we're still on this topic, I think one of the things that I think um, has been really cool um, even growing up, I me mean, growing up around Jews, there's a lot less Jews out here in the Northwest than there were back home. And I kind of mentioned that, but I think one of the cool things about Jews that I love from the outside is two things. Jews party, right? Jews are a party people. They're a feast people, right? And they're, they're about the feast, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Um, they're about their celebrations, right? They're about, you know, um, doing that. And then the other thing is that Jews that I know in my experience are not afraid of conflict. You talk about that with the rabbis, you know, having different opinions. And I think that here in the Northwest, in our particular context, we have uh, this fear of conflict, but it's not like an open conflict, right? People don't do conflict openly. And I think that for me, that's just such a beautiful thing. And it's almost loving when people are able to do conflict openly and then not harbor right. um, any resentment because you know where the other person stands, right? And right. at the end of the day, you know, your Jewishness is not on the line when you disagree with another person's Jewishness right. or another person's idea of Jewishness, right? Like right? You're still brothers, right? And you're still both like, hey, we agree to disagree and you keep it moving. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just because we're both New Yorkers. So, you know, <laughs> true. In, the, in the Seattle world, it's a very different situation um, because people are, a little more, are, are more passive here. Um, than what we grew up with in New York, you just tell people the truth and um, and I and think it's part. On. I mean, but but I think there's <laughs> it's culturally that way, and I think yeah. but if we look at what can we learn from the Jewish tradition, yeah. yeah, I think the world would be a better place if we were actually able to yeah. have conflict openly. No, I mean you have to have relationship with people you disagree with, yeah, because otherwise, how else do you grow if you're only hanging with people that you agree with? Where, like, where's the growth, you know? 
I don't, I'm not, a, I wouldn't even hang out with myself from 10 years ago. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like I totally disagree with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's there's, what growth is. There's, let me, let me kind of just bring us back and kind of start to land our conversation here, man. We can keep going, like I said, all day long. Um, but let me, let me talk to you a little bit about um, discipleship. Right, we focused a lot, a lot on discipleship here on the podcast. Um, and some people may want to know, you know, are Jewish and Gentile disciples called to different forms of discipleship today? And and if so, what does that look like in your opinion? Okay, so the keeping of commandments is far less complicated than people realize. There has never been. There's people say there's 613 commandments. The reason why people say that is because a rabbi named Maimonides said that in the 1100s in Spain, which is, you know, 11, well, that's like 2,000 years later than Moses. Uh, But he tried to number them. The problem is nobody keeps all of them because it's not possible to keep all of them, not for the reason most Christians say, but because they don't all apply to you. So there's different divisions within the commandments, right? There's commandments for men and there's commandments for women. There's commandments for Jews. There's commandments for Gentiles. There's commandments for only the priesthood. There's commandments only for the high priest. There's commandments if you're in different seasons of life. So there's a new set of commandments when you become a parent. If you never become a parent, you don't have to observe those commandments, right? There's an understanding of and a knowledge of the commandments in general that you are aware enough to know which commandments apply to you and when they apply to you and how they will change over the course of your life. And some won't and some will, right? So it's, it's the, the question of what do I do? Like I get the question most of the time. People come to me and they'll say, can you just tell me the commandments I have to keep? Okay, well, you start with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the part that most people don't quote that Jesus says right after that is, and on all, and these two hang all the law and the prophets. Why? Well, even the Ten Commandments, according to the rabbis, all we know is that Moses received two tablets. We don't know. He was also the first one to download from the cloud. <laughs> Onto his love it, love it. Dad jokes, let's get it. Onto his tablet. <laughs> okay. He was ahead of his time. Totally. Um, all we know is there's two. We don't know how the commandments are laid out. Traditionally, we say it's five commandments and five commandments. Interestingly, the way the rabbis break down the two tablets of the Ten Commandments is the first tablet is love the Lord your God, and the second tablet is love your neighbor as yourself. Because the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother and it'll go well with you in the land. But honoring your father and mother is the link between the first four and the other five that follow. Um, Because you see your relationship with God through how you see your parents. And your parents are also the first people that you have a relationship with. Right? So your relationship with your parents dictates how you see God and how you see people. And so the first tablet is love. This is why Jesus never said anything new. Because when he said it, everybody went, yeah, we know. Obviously, the commandments break down to those two. There's even another time in the Gospels where he asks one of the Torah teachers, it says Torah lawyer, uh, which is hard to say, Torah lawyer, Torah lawyer. It's hard to say. Uh, he, He says, what are the greatest commandments? And the guy gives the same answer that Jesus gave at another time. He says, well, everybody knows Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, are you doing those things? And he's like, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Then you're good. You know, every commandment in the scriptures goes under one of those headings. God either commanded us to do it because it's how we love God, or it's in relationship to how we love people. And it's always been understood that way, that the keeping the commandments is, a, is a loving God and loving your neighbor. So how does that affect discipleship? Well, you better know which ones apply to you and which ones don't. And it takes work because they 
change over the the commandments don't change, but the way commandments interact with your life and in your culture um, and in your time and in your season of life, you're supposed to know the scriptures well enough to know what you ought to do and be in relationship with people who are a little further ahead of you that can guide you in what you're supposed to do right now. Like that's discipleship. It's, um, you know, I don't know that I necessarily dig the one-on-one, like I will learn everything I have to learn from this one guy. Um, I think there's over the course of your life who is mentoring you changes and how people mentor you. But, you know, the process is guiding people towards how can you best love God, love your neighbor, and so that make applies a for both Jews and Gentile. Yeah, and then they break down differently, right? Like I would say, and this is there's different opinions within Messianic Judaism uh, on this issue. My, mine is I believe Jewish people are obligated to circumcise our sons on the eighth day and keep the festivals of the Lord and keep some version of kosher according to, you know, clean and unclean food according to the scriptures. Cause there's a whole lot of things that are added that people call kosher that I wouldn't do. Cause Jesus didn't actually command that. Um, and there's different opinions, but you work through those things. And if a Gentile comes to me and says, do I have to keep the Sabbath and circumcise my sons? I say, well, that's what the book of Galatians is about. Um, and Acts 15, they said, no, you do not. And Paul took, has two sons in the faith. In Acts 16, right after the Jerusalem Council, he takes Timothy, who's Jewish, to be circumcised. In Galatians chapter 2, he celebrates that Titus, who was a Greek, was not deceived into being circumcised. It's like a super simple, <laughs> where do you come from? Who are you? This is what you do, you know. I have every year because in in Exodus 12 it says that everyone who eats of the Passover lamb has to be circumcised. I have a gentile who like shows up or sends an email and is like, "I'm not circumcised. Can I come to Passover?" And I respond with, first, if you're giving me that kind of information, you should buy me a drink first. <laughs> Second, uh that's not the context of that verse. Um you don't we're not sacrificing a Passover lamb when we participate, when we celebrate Passover. There's no temple to even sacrifice a Passover lamb in. So anybody can eat of this lamb. It's not a sacrifice. It's a memorial to and a reminder of. Um, and so everybody can participate. You know, and there's some Gentiles who feel obligated. Like my assistant rabbi is not Jewish and his wife is not Jewish. and and uh, and they keep kosher and they keep the holidays to do a lot of same, you know, things. We have some disagreements on things, but we uh, do a lot of the same stuff. And I, I think that was a f- over the course of their lives in their relationship with the Lord, they felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do those things. But I don't think everyone is compelled. And I don't think... I don't think personally that the Holy Spirit would convince a Jewish person not to. So I think he could convict a Gentile too, but I also think the Holy Spirit would never convict a Jewish person to not keep the things that he commanded our fathers to keep forever. But how you keep them and what they actually are, that's like a whole nother what do you do to keep kosher and what do you eat and what do you not eat? And I mean, there can be all kinds of disagreement within, I think there's a thousand ways you could keep kosher. Um, so it's complicated for that reason, but it's complicated because of people, not because of God. <laughs> mm, I mean, we, people are complicated and yeah, you know, we, we interpret things incorrectly yeah. all of the time. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the reality of, yeah. of being human. And that might be one of the things And I get to the, you know, when, when I get to judgment day and the Lord's like, you were wrong about Jews being obligated. And I was like, dang. He's like, all right, there's M- food. Miss that one. <laughs> yeah. There's food. There's wine. Come on in. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but is it going to be bacon though? That's the... Doubtful. 
We'll see. You know, we'll see. Doubtful. Maybe it's uh, maybe after all things are complete, there's a clean version. A clean version. <laughs> maybe. It tastes just like bacon. Plant based. Right. Plant based <laughs> right. bacon. Will it be actual food? That could also be. So as we as we kind of begin to just wrap up here, we're gonna land the plane. Uh, this is a a complex topic. Yeah. And, and some of our listeners may be entering the conversation for the first time. This might be maybe the first time they're really digging deep into thinking of the Jewishness of Jesus or the differences between Jew and Gentile and, and trying to faithfully follow Jesus. Um, what kind of uh, resources would you recommend for some of our listeners, the books or podcasts, sermons, yeah. articles, anything of the sort, what kind of resources sure. would you recommend to people engaging in this? Com- yeah. Topic? I mean, I think one of the best resources out there is uh, by one of my heroes, David Stern. He has a, a commentary called the Jewish New Testament Commentary. And it goes through the whole New Testament, but he only comments on things that he thinks are specific Jewish contexts that other commentaries didn't um, talk about. So it's a really good start, um, especially if you're preaching through passages. And like, what does David Stern say is like one of my, you know, let me just see what he's got about uh, Jewish context. Um, there's a lot of great resources like the Bible project, their videos and their podcasts about how they make the videos. You know, Tim Mackey, uh, is not Jewish, but deeply studied and understands Jewish thought and the way they articulate the continuity of scripture is in its expression is very Jewish and their stuff is incredible their podcast is better than the video i mean the videos are amazing but the videos are like here's a taste if you want more um and then they have like hour hour and a half podcasts about why they chose the things they chose in the five minute videos (laughs) and it's like it's uh it's fascinating so there's there's a lot of other um things but i think those are good places to start and of course you should buy jesus never said anything new on amazon it's on Amazon everywhere available yeah. today. Today, do it right now. <laughs> hey, um, so man, it, this is a good conversation. So glad we are getting this conversation started. I think that it's been a gift to kind of hang out with a fellow New Yorker and, and kind of getting to pick your brain, dude. Um, how can people stay connected to you? Uh, where can people find you and your ministry? I think you have an app somewhere. And then yep. the other thing is just any parting words. Uh, for our audience? Yeah. Uh, the name of our congregation is Restoration. And if you look up Restoration Seattle in your app store, there's a Restoration app, which has our sermons and um, all kinds of content. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at RavMatt or Facebook. Um, and Restoration has its own accounts on Instagram and Facebook. And um, yeah, there's about a thousand different ways to contact me if you you don't have to work too hard to find them. Um, yeah, and I just, I just encourage people to keep digging. Um, you should never take someone else's word on the word. Um, doesn't mean you dismiss what people are saying, but you have to study things for yourself and understand for yourself. Um, and if there's something that makes you really, like a position that makes you really angry, when somebody said, you're like, nobody should believe that. I, w- I would just encourage you to read everything you can on it and dig deeper and find out, you know, what you, uh, it's, there's no fear in, in, there shouldn't be fear in people that disagree. It's the people that disagree that spur us to study and, uh, encourage us to know what we're talking about when we talk about these things. And I think, you know, the word of God is the most important book in the history of the world. And, um, and the more time we're in it and the more time we spend reading it and understanding it and asking the Lord, how did these words apply to me? Um, you know, we'll make all kinds of bad decisions in the process, but the Lord works through all those to help us, um, you know, follow him the best that we can. 
Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the conversation. Stay tuned for more episodes coming out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keeping It Simple. We have more episodes coming out in the summer and in the fall of 2022. Stay tuned for season three as it comes out. Please like, review, share, and subscribe to our podcast.